Jai Guru, everyone. Jai Guru, welcome to our next episode. We are still going through the autobiography of a yogi, line by line. We have reached, well, we have reached quite a while ago, chapter eight. We're still talking about Jagadish Chandra Bose. And now we are at the fourth part of chapter eight. And we have an amazing guest today. Hey, Reba, how are you doing? I wouldn't quite refer to myself as an amazing guest, but I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a very well-prepared guest, as I've been told in the preamble by Priyank. Yeah, uh, Priyank is a very strict disciplinarian, but that's okay. <laughs> I think you passed all of his tests. <laughs> I'm sure out of all of the girls, he feels most a kinship with Shami Yukteswar. Definitely most, most scared of him, for sure. <laughs> Me in too. A good way. Yeah, yeah. In a motivating way. Like, yeah. I, I better do my EEs because I don't know. Yeah, like that. <laughs> did you do them this morning, Mike? Yet? I did not, no. I must say not. Yeah, I know. I have a picture there, so I'm I'm like I'm waiting for the day that when I ask this random question, you say yes. I One day them. it will happen. It will happen. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so we're in the middle of the chapter, <clears throat> chapter eight. We're talking about the Bengali scientist Jagadish Chandra Bose. And we have um talked about him in the last three parts already. And now we have Mukunda actually at his lab. So he he invited him. And he's at the research center. And Mukunda is fascinated about the the laboratory, right? He sees that. And the first thing you notice is uh, there's a real, I would say, um, maybe an awe or maybe at least an admiration for science and the scientific methods that that he is using. And um, he, you likened it a bit to entering maybe the house of a guru, Priyank, right? When you, when when he got in there. Yeah, sounds it has that certain feel as well, especially when he used the uh, mindful of his promise, because um, mm. uh, he must have promised him a long a while ago that you can come to my place. And usually people just say these things, don't they? But he actually meant it and stuck to it and it reminded mm. me of the promise that uh, our gurus give us you know if we're faithful to our practices then essentially we'll get uh, all the spiritual help that we'll need absolutely yeah <clears throat> and he if we we stay in the same metaphor he's like a science guru of science i don't know we we talked about this in other episodes that we shouldn't use the way guru in this way but <laughs> it 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 is like that. He's he's in his domain here, um, Dr. Bose. And so then he starts um turning on this Cresco graph and he puts a, a fern before it. And the first thing that that you that he says is that it magnifies the fern in a way that you can actually <clears throat> see the fern as a living being. You see it move, you see its reactions. Guruji compares it. He says if you would put a snail in in front of the Cresco graph, it would go fast like an express train. So it it magnifies the movements. And usually when we look at a plant, we we think it's of it. I, I don't want to say an object, but definitely not something that that is moving, that is interacting, right? But here it does. And then you have to set up, and then he starts interacting with the plant so the the first thing that he does is he takes a metal rod and holds it to the plant and i don't know i i did that didn't occur to me i thought if i take a metal rod hold it to my plant my plant wouldn't mind the same way i wouldn't mind or like when i take a metal rod and i take it in my hand makes no difference but (laughs) this plant this plant was not happy about that this plant kind of kind of became very slow, shut down, and was maybe maybe it was shy. That's also something that is um coming through here. Like 
plants are not only reacting, but they also seem to have some kind of emotional reaction to things. So maybe when you have a plant in your house, maybe you have to first make friends with your plants and and then they they kind of warm up to you after a while. Mm, those uh, environmentalists that get bad press calling them tree huggers, I'm guessing <laughs> that was something that's actually useful for plants and trees and animals. Hugging them, yes, yes. I, you think a tree likes a good hug? I guess so. <laughs> right? Who doesn't like a good hug? <laughs> Who's sure. hugged a tree before? I have. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> we will have. Okay, maybe that's maybe that's a prerequisite to be on Kuruchi's on path. Listeners, if you haven't hugged a tree, get outside, find a tree. Yes. Preferably yep. do it when lots of people are watching as well, so they can join <laughs> to make a statement. <laughs> Ever the tree hugger. Yeah. I, be loving to your plants it, it has a it has an effect on them maybe it would actually be beneficial if if we all had cresco in our houses and we could look at our plants direct i would find that would maybe make it and motivate us much more to interact more with our plants if we saw that it actually has an effect that we can see i i found i found that i found that that very interesting Unfortunately, if you care a lot about plants, the, the way this continues here is a bit dark. <laughs> so, so, so he he goes he goes on, and so we said already the the metal rod the 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 plant is not happy about the metal rod, but then he removes the metal rod again, and then the the plant continues with its movements and um, Priam Elo eloquent rhythms he calls them, which is a really nice words, isn't it? reminds me of uh, if you have like a magnified and slowed down version of like ice ice crystals forming mm. you get this kind of like really cool eloquent rhythms out going outwards from the point of where the cold is turning the liquid into ice mm. yeah so it's it's there's definitely some something to it some i don't know how to how to explain it but it's like uh like the rhythm of life going going through this plant and so what Bose does next he uses chloroform he administers it to the fern and then it, ha it has the a similar effect again so that it it kind of i think it's kind of similar to when you use chloroform on a human being it, like knocked out the plant <laughs> and then and then he had an antidote he doesn't say what exactly it is but it kind of instantly brought brought the plant back yeah and and this is now where it becomes a bit more um yeah Priyank, do you want to say something first yeah that um the antidote was revivifying <clears throat> mm. maybe i'm reading too much into this but uh if, if the chloroform discontinued all growth and the antidote was revivifying it really reminds me of um, how in meditation we have we we're like antsy or nervous sometimes or agitated, and mm -hmm. the the effect the impact of meditation is revivifying, isn't it? it tell allows us to get back into our normal calm state of affairs, um, mm -hmm. and similarly, like if we if we allow for example, if you allowed in this case the chloroform to like stay, uh, then it would have probably killed the plant or whatever. Mm. But and similarly, like if we if in meditation or in our lives, if we if we if we continuously seek like stimulation, <laughs> be that either dulling or like you know exciting, it's not going to end end well, is it <laughs> for us? Yes, or so they say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I, I, I wonder if it's beneficial for the plant if you meditate with the plant. Maybe it will make its life prolong its life for a while. Lauren's plants must know. be doing really well with all that <laughs> meditation. Mm. She's got loads of plants, listeners. You won't be able to see. 
I do yeah. have lots and lots of plants in here, but I have to say I don't actually meditate in this room, only mm. very rarely. So I can't take any credit for their blooming, but they are doing very well. Yeah, that's that's really nice. I, I also don't have any any plants in my bedroom where I usually meditate. I have I have a few plants here, but they mostly they make my cherry tomatoes. Um, and they plastic, Mike. No, they're real. <laughs> and, but they they don't make enough cherry tomatoes for for me. I would need a whole orchard mm -hmm. to actually have, have enough. And so, so now we come. Now comes the um, the PG thirteen part. So because now I don't know. Like, did you guys make an emotional connection with that fern when you read this? And now the next experiment is he takes a sharp object, he cuts into the stem, and um, that shows also a pretty. It shows a reaction of like what you would expect Priyank likened it to a cartoon. And it's kind of like it, right? Like first, first you get a, a, an intense reaction, and then slowly fading away until finally it it ends in death. So, yeah. So you basically usually when you cut off uh, maybe like a branch of a tree, you don't think about it much, but you actually killed that part. And yeah. So next time you do that, think about that. Yeah, Lauren. <laughs> Something I was thinking about as I was rereading this, I was wondering what the karmic effects were of both mm. doing all these experiments, because obviously he would have had to have done a lot to have come to the point that he has now. Um, because, you know, he's essentially causing pain and death to plants, which we now know from his findings are living beings. Um, so, yeah, my question to you all is what do you think karmic effects were and do you think it was weighed fairly in the hands of cosmic law according to truth that he's discovered or what are your thoughts go on I, Riva kick us off go on Riva yeah do it no no because I was gonna well, I had a question based on your question so mine's not an answer it's not oh. a question so Priyank Pri you go first okay so I often think about this um because my my garden I like to tend to it so it looks very nice. But at the same time, I don't want to um, kill many things. <laughs> so I'm always in this um, conundrum. And I, where I set my limit was, all right, I won't do any damage to any insects or uh, um, animals, but, um, but if I need to weed, I'll weed. And similarly, I won't, um, what's it called? I won't grow plants that I need to remove. If you know what I mean, mm. um, I'll mm. grow plants that are there, and they can take take over. So it just minimizes my as exactly as what Lauren says. If there is any karmic uh, debt, then um, hopefully reducing it to none. So, for example, um, I'd love to. I had like I grew like six or seven different vegetables this year, and the slugs slugs got the majority of them. Like as soon as they flower, the slugs are all over them. But um, I don't want to put any um, slug killer down because then I don't want to kill the slugs. <laughs> even though the, mm. you know, even though when I buy the vegetables in the supermarket, no doubt that they use all this pesticide stuff to make it grow that well. But uh, when it's like in your, if you're the one doing it, I feel there's a different um, karma, I suppose, if that's the crude, compared to <clears throat> leaving it to the big farm industry. <laughs> That sounds very wise, isn't I think as a kind of set of principles. Because I kind of, when I was reading this, I was like, oh my God. So I already, because like as vegetarian, as a vegetarian, we always feel like, you know, on the right side of the karma bit. Because I'm like, well, I'm not harming animals. But now I'm like, oh God, now I've got to think about plants as well. And, but since I was very young, I always used to feel like the whole concept of bunches of flowers and giving flowers to people. I was like, oh, like that's a bit weird, isn't it? Because you're plucking the flower from living to, to do it. So I wondered what my question to you guys was, how do you feel? Because in so many ceremonies as well, they're involving like, you know, bring a flower, which is obviously goes really, really way back. Like it's so such a huge part of so many cultures. So it's obviously got significant and it's obviously beautiful and it's obviously really symbolic 
but it's not bring a plant, is it? It's bring a flower. <laughs> but then I guess the flower's not killing the plant, but it still hurts, isn't it? Yeah, I it does. I I think we talked in the one of the last episodes. We talked about the saint who wouldn't pluck flowers because he mm -hmm. said he wouldn't want to hurt the 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 plant. And there's definitely something to it. I don't know how big the amount of bad karma is for plucking a flower really i would say it's not probably not life-changing but i'm not the expert but i but yeah there's definitely something to it where you go there's a flower it's very beautiful i don't do i really have to rip it out and yeah even though it's for a spiritual ceremony but hard to say me to refer river back to our previous episode <laughs> um i i found um you know in the luther burbank a saint amidst roses um one of the one of the things he does was that it convinces the cactus one of the cactus plants to shed its um spines or thorns so then it like by by giving it love essentially it's like convincing it's in a safe place etc and he managed to produce this um, uh, species of uh, cactus, edible cacti, that didn't produce thorns. So obviously there's um, a lot of that is down to the in intention, isn't it? So he didn't want to, he wanted to promote like this feeling of peace and love around the plant. And he obviously then, but to, to do that, he no doubt he would have had to pull out um, plants that would prevent that cactus from growing because you needed to grow the cactus right so you probably would have had to de-weed that area where the cactus was but we, we unfortunately were not told about his methods of de-weeding Luther Burbank's Saint <laughs> Mistrosis but he would have had to do it right we all have to do it lest we live in a forest my wife wants to um next year We've got two vegetable patches. Um, wants to uh, just make them wild flowers and just let whatever grows there grow. I'll see how it goes. Oh, interesting. I I think that there are different rules for plants than for humans. Like if you would take what Luther Burbank did with all his cropping of plants and mapped it to humans, then he would become Frankenstein, right? And that's not what it is. I feel like he was create he created a lot of new fruits. He made fruit trees and nut trees more efficient, if you that's the right word. Basically making them give more nuts and more often and needing less water. And I think there's there is a role of the human being kind of changing the ecosystem to an extent. Um Maybe in the in a way that doesn't destroy nature, but I think there's it's okay to to research in this area without doing too much harm. That's mm -hmm. my opinion. I'm not that's not backed up by any by any um like text or ancient text or anything. This is just something that I what about to my have, mind. What about to have a pristine um garden? Do you think then that's worthwhile? Is yeah, like an, English, like an English garden like yours. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you yourself helped me pull out most of those roots when you were here. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah, that was coming great. out now. <laughs> during, the, during the pandemic, we created, we did mass murder on weeds and <laughs> this old grass patches. <laughs> yeah. Mm. No, I, I think the, that's okay. Took them to the graveyard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, one of the things that always strikes me when I visit any SRF center is their beautiful gardens. And I don't see weeds there or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm guessing they must be weeding as well. I think that's okay. Um, and, and nature, I don't know, I've, I've, I've seen patches um, where, where nature just grows wild and it doesn't, it's not always great. It's sometimes just um, you need a you need an equilibrium of different kinds of plants and animals that kind of keep each other in check. And if you don't have that, then 
you create something that is not great for anybody, not great for the plants. And you don't like they, meadows, Mike. Um, meadows are good, but what if um, they grow? What if they grow too high? Or what if you have trees that try to grow there, and then the meadows grow so high and take away all their nutrients, and they basically it starts things start killing each other, right? <laughs> Would you say? That's an interesting question, actually. Would you say the life of a tree is more important than the life of a patch of grass? Depends on what, what the soil is and what the temperature is, what meant, what's meant mm. to grow there, isn't it? Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. That's a good answer. <laughs> Speaking of trees, so now we go to the next level. So now he, Jagadish Chandra Bose, he talks about transplanting a tree. And if we... I don't think remember remember is the right word, but way in the way ahead in the book, Luther Burbank talks about trees and how stubborn they are, right? How difficult it is to make a tree do something else because they have been growing in the same way for hundreds of years and they don't want to be changed. So he transplanted a tree by chloroforming it. And then um, I'm guessing he's chloroforming a branch and then cropping it onto another tree. Is that how you guys... Um, read that as well, or is that cutting off a tree and putting it into soil again? I'm not really sure what he meant by transplanting it. But um, he, yeah, I think, I think that's yeah. correct. Because when I when I did it without chloroform, mm. not trees, mm -hmm. but like very established bushes, I want to take them from mm. the back to the front, and more than fifty percent of them didn't make the uh, transfer. <laughs> they did not. They did not want to be moved. So I, I should have done this kind of thing, which is interesting because I, I had read this book like many times, yet I didn't put into practice this simple, very obvious instruction. Oh, yeah. I wonder, I wonder if that's like also the, if, if you read about it in a scientific way, if chloroform is um, one of the ways that people do it professionally or what people have been using these days, because cropping trees is, is, is very, um, um, I would say a common uh, place everywhere, right? I I think that to get the kind of avocados that we're all eating, that wouldn't really work without cropping. And there's man, many other um, fruits that we where we actually depend on this method to actually get them out because the the wild fruit that would grow they wouldn't be edible. So it is very important. Um. And he goes on, he, he then talks about, he likens trees to human bodies in a, in a way where he says there's the, a circulatory system inside a tree where, and instead of blood, they have sap and the sap is circulating through the trees. And I, I still remember that in school, I, we learned that the sap movement in the tree happened through capillary attraction. And here he, he says that, he says capillary traction is not an explanation for the sap movement. It's the only thing that can actually move the sap in the way it does, because it moves up and it moves down, um, is um, the, the living cells that push it from one, from one to the next. And I'm not sure if our current, um, I couldn't find a paper where this is confirmed. Um, I don't know where science stands on this right now, but I'm not, uh, I couldn't find any confirmation of, of this version, but it makes a lot of sense. Mike, we and have to, we have to take this as gospel. This trumps as gospel. science. Yeah. 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 But I mean, um, we can, we do that, but I mean, what about world science, the, the scientific community? I feel like if they would then ad adopt this. Um, this would be a real confirmation of mm. how ahead of his time Jagadish Chandra Bose was, right? Mm. And probably still is. That's I think that's that's one of the one of the points, right? That he he kind of says those things a hundred years ago, and even now we're still struggling to confirm them. Yeah. Then he says there there's a. <clears throat> The, there is a, a section where all this all the sap originates from and it's this is like an like an actual heart and 
so he he kind of it makes it more more easy to see the tree as a living being rather than like an object which he did to the firm before the fern and the next thing he does is he he goes from the fern to the tree now he goes to a piece of tin to a piece of metal basically and he uses the same the same methods so and he says that the tin reacts um in in a certain way with vibrations so basically that the tin is alive as well and i felt for me thinking the fern is alive fine thinking the tree is alive fine thinking the tin is alive is really difficult to kind of this is like a real change in my in in my 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 picture of the world because i i would have not thought that tin is something you would apply chloroform to and then it would stop vibrating right but apparently in those experiments that he did this is the this is the um effect that it has and then he's he he then says he talks about the fatigue of the material and we do we do have um this in 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 science we have this this whole part of our science in in material sciences which talks about material fatigue um i don't i i didn't find anywhere a section where it acknowledges that the metal would be alive or but for example with when we have airplanes or when we have undersea cables i think we talked about this before we can we know that if we would fly them 24/7 they would break much faster than if we gave them periodic rest periods mm. alive alive is um uh, i think to uh, to bigger word it's more like vibrant more like <clears throat> buzzing or something like that and the more like vibrant or in resonance it is with what it was designed to be then then it is more likely to achieve what we want it to achieve so mm. <clears throat> so for example this um this chloroform um would change you know change in some way the electrical properties of the tin for example and mm -hmm. make it perhaps more resistive to current passing through it um even if it's minute uh, we may not notice it when we're using the copper to light our lamps for example but if you put a um you know as as Bose has done if you did put a, a, a very sensitive instrument, <clears throat> then you would notice it. I mean, like when I the previously, you know, when when he said uh, he when he was when he was looking at his crescograph and and saying how magnificent the the magnification was, and he said if a snail's crawl were enlarged in the same proportion, the creature would appear to be traveling like an express train. And mm. I thought, well, let me let me try and put some maths to this so i thought okay express train back in those days 70 miles per hour 30 meters per second <laughs> to 10,000. and i thought okay let me get to the smallest possible field of view that you'd have if you were this small and i got to like that was that that snail was going at like three millimeters per second which is pretty good and similarly mm. that fern and similarly you'd um if, if you had a very delicate instrument for um for current uh, no doubt you would see minute impacts, even if you put your finger on the um, on the conducting copper or tin, right? You'd notice you'd notice mm -hmm. a difference. Some current would flow through you, and it would be suppressed in some areas. And uh, if you continuously mm -hmm. continuously put your thumb there every day for a year, then you'd have a gouge. <laughs> you'd have a gouge in the metal and all those kind of thumbs. So it's very subtle, isn't it? And He's talking about the really subtle realms here that no one's really interested in because um, if if it works and it's working, <laughs> if it stops working, you replace it. That's the mentality of um, of engineers nowadays. You know, you've designed something. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you designed like something. That. It's got an operational <laughs> life, and in that operational life, you've designed mm. it so it's got to withstand all this stuff that you're putting it through. Not thinking about how to extend that in any way that's more effort than uh <laughs> just changing it true i have to say going off of that i feel like um going over this last chapter 
it's actually changed my relationship with how I interact with the world because it becomes even more apparent that it's all alive, right? And it's all alive with God. And, you know, it's so easy to, you know, chuck your pen about and not really take good care of the material, but actually it's it's still got its own life and its own buzzing and it's really struck me and I think it's um it's really interesting because um we realize that it's not as it appears to be it's it's a hard one to explain in words but I hope you understand my meaning yeah I I like just to your point I feel like um it just kind of reconfirms that that kind of concept of oneness and that we're all connected and so just like there's life energy in us and you think there's life energy in every living thing it's like no there's life energy in every single thing everywhere we're literally one thing of being alive so and that like, that's that's quite a beautiful thing but on the other side it's like oh my god am i hurting this brick now you know <laughs> everything is um alive yeah it's, it's an interesting it's interesting i think that's a good word lauren mm. Uh, very good point, Lauren. I, um, it reminds me of how gen how how prudent it is to be gentle with all our actions, where we walk, how we move things, how we you know address people, every single thing. The more gentle we are, the better it's going to going to be. Oh, where we um, listeners, we won't know this, but we had a Janamashmi Kirtan. Um, couple of uh, a few days ago and Lauren and I were um, performing various instruments and Lauren was using her instrument of the voice box very aptly very beautifully but I remember it's Lauren had to, it was yeah maybe I'll uh, get a clip and I'll play at some point but um, we um, Laura my wife was uh, watching Lauren move um, uh, move off the altar and she was in this really, really awkward um, position in between like a mic boom and between the harmonium. And there was like Sri Krishna's picture like in the way. So she had to navigate all of that. And obviously she doesn't want to cause a big clutter and knock over the picture and things like that. Or the microphone. <laughs> I even thought about that. <laughs> and she very, very delicately, like she got up. And she moved really gracefully, slowly put her hand on one thing, her weight on this side and that. My wife is that she she moved so delicately off the um altar. It was like a meditation, just watching her move off away from the altar. And it really so what you said, what you've uh, talked about here, Lauren, you seem to have been putting into practice, I must say. Well, maybe then sometimes I'm uh, you know, <laughs> chucking things about. But that's really perceptive. Your wife is very yeah, such a wow. Lauren, I'm perceptive as well because I really noticed that as well. Because I was like, I, I was, I was like, I need to ask Lauren, is she like a dancer or something? Because you're so graceful, <laughs> and you. First of all, there was two things I really like. One thing was after you finished, there was like this kind of moment of like pause, like which was really beautiful, and then it was like with such grace. It's like your toes were pointing. And you like got yourself up and you got, I was like, oh my God, I literally like living for her getting off this stage. Cause like every time you did that, I was like, I love this. Thank you. Yeah, it was a highlight for me. Nice. Yeah. So oh, should we, we may as well play it. Should we play it? Actually, let's play it at the oh, end of the episode. At the I end wasn't of the there, episode. So yeah. At the end of the yeah. episode. At the end of the episode. Okay. Yeah. Listeners, um, stay tuned. <laughs> for some amazing performance yeah um and um in the book it continues with guruji seeing all this being impressed by it and then saying isn't this the key to feed millions to improve our agriculture to uh, if we better know how plants works if we have this um those means to actually see the reaction of plants, wouldn't that be a great way to test fertilizers and see if they are actually having an effect or not, or how how the, well the effect works. And to be honest, I don't know if that ever happened, if people actually use a Crespo graph to test different fertilizers on plants, but it might have. I, I do see um, that this is um, some something 
that would make sense. And in general, the like Jagdish Chandra Bose, he came up, he he was very ahead of its time. I feel in in his field and he, some of the fields he created himself. And if we look at the book God Talks with Arjuna, he um, talks about there's a section where we see how he clashes a bit with the establishment in science and how difficult it is to to bring certain ideas to people who are used to a different um, view of the world, I would say. Um, guys, are we ready to read this? <clears throat> Lauren, do you want to read the first section? Yes. I can find it. No, someone else will have to read it. That's Wait, Bryce, I, yeah, go on. Go I'm on flustered now. now. I don't know where I'm supposed to be finding this. Where was it messaged to me? Sorry, guys. Where is oh, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you, Reva, once it's, yeah, once it's your uh, turn. Oh. I'll, I'll start. Oh, um, I can find it. I go for it, Lauren. In 1899, Bose began a comparative study of the curves of molecular reaction in inorganic substance and those in living animal tissue. To his awe and surprise, the curves produced by slightly warmed magnetic oxide of iron showed striking resemblance to those of muscles. In both response and recovery diminished with exertion and the consequent fatigue could be removed by gentle massage or by exposure to a bath of warm water. Other metal components reacted in animal-like ways. When Sir Michael Foster, secretary of the Royal Society, came to Bose's laboratory one morning to see for himself what was happening, Bose showed the Cambridge veteran some of his recordings. The older man said jocularly, Come now, Bose, what is the novelty of this curve? We have known it for at least half a century. Sorry, that's music. But what do you think it is? Bose persisted quietly. Why, a curve of mus muscle response, of course, said Foster. Looking at the professor from the depths of his haunting brown eyes, Bose said firmly, Pardon me but it is a response of metallic tin. Foster was aghast. What? He shouted, jumping from his chair. Tin? Did you say tin? <laughs> then what happened? Okay. <laughs> when Bo showed him uh, all his results, Foster was as thrilled as he was astounded. An article in Asia magazine of March 1923 continues the story. Foster was overwhelmed. Boldly, Bose voiced his conclusion. Amongst such phenomena, how can we draw the line of demarcation and say that here the physical ends and here the physiological begins? Such absolute barriers do not exist. If metals seem to live, what may not be expected of plants? This Indian who synthesizes the teachings of his forefathers with the revelations of modern scientific research, finds that every fibre in a green, apparently sluggish mass of foliage is infused with sensibility. Flowers and plants cease to be merely a few clustered petals, a few green leaves growing from a woody stem. They are man's organic kin. Thus, the scientists' researches confirm not only Vedantic teachings, but the deep, worldwide philosophic conviction that beneath the chaotic, bewildering diversity of nature, there is an underlying unity. At the close of one of his Royal Society addresses, after he had shown the complete similarity between the responses of apparently dead metals, plants and muscles, Bose poetically uttered the conclusion at which he had arrived. It was when I came upon the minute witness of, the, of these self-made records and perceived in them one phase of a pervading unity that bears within it all things, the moat that quivers in the ripples of light, the teeming life upon our earth and the radiant suns that shine above us. It was then that I understood for the first time a little of that message proclaimed by my ancestors on the banks of the Ganges 30 years ago, 30 centuries ago. 
They who see but one in all the changing manifestations of this universe, and to them belongs eternal truth, and to none else, and to none else. Beautiful. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for reading this. And I think this is kind of the, the same point that Jagadish Chandra Bose is trying to make the whole time is that God is in everything and everything is living. And I think if we have this attitude, then it will be not just easier to understand what's going on in our life, but also as a scientist, I guess. If you just expect life to be everywhere, you will probably be on the right track of research. Indeed, it was a really, really nice article. But um, what what led to it was um, Mukunda essentially says, why can't we um, influence various types of fertilizers on plant growth? Use your experiments. And do you not think that this is such a... Um, Mukunda is a teenager at this stage. And what a perceptive mm. question, relevant, because no, no doubt he would have seen a lot of poverty, but most um, middle middle and upper class um, people don't don't think about the solution when they're in their teens. Um, they may maybe like you know do all sorts of charity and altruism later on, but not at such a young age. So what a it's such a creative uh, question, isn't it? Um, to to think to think right now about what's going to like save save the country essentially. Um, he he really has the perspective not of someone who you would think is mere a mere part of society, but more the perspective of a leader of a leader of a country of a of a world leader who who looks at the problems from a global scope and thinks how can we alleviate those problems, and this is this is probably also shows what he's thinking about day to day he's like what what are the big things that could make that could alleviate suffering from this world indeed and he also really gets out the best of, from both because like both agrees with him and he essentially says that there's going to be millions of uses for my instruments of which we'll discuss a little bit later uh next episode perhaps but um he also says that the scientist seldom knows contemporaneous reward. It is enough to possess the joy of creative service. It's such a profound <laughs> philosophy to, to live by, isn't it? That um, you don't think about, essentially you don't think about the reward. But he's accepting that uh, his work is for the future of humanity, not just not just right now and essentially actually not at all right now anyway because the the scientific world is not yet ready to to put into practice all these um, marvelous marvelous applications so it's definitely not not for fame or something like that i have to say one of the reasons why i really like engineering and the scientific community is because i feel like most people are in it not for fame but for um, respect or for their really admiring um, nature, and and they're, they're real, there's a real interest and there's a real love for um, for research. Um, but still, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure this is this um, attitude that Bose has here that he shows. It exemplifies kind of the ideal scientist. So, Michael, you've met um, my younger brother-in-law, mm -hmm. who we went out for many walks with. You, you'll remember that he went to Cambridge to study engineering, and you'll also remember that he then, on his yes. first day of graduation, joined, <laughs> joined, joined uh, investment bank and now a hedge fund. What would you, what would you say to uh, my brother-in-law if he were listening, which he doesn't listen, I don't think, to this podcast. He may in the future. What would you say to him, Mike? <laughs> Ah, uh, kudos. Well done, sir. Tip of the hat. No, it's really if you don't if you don't love it, if it then it's torture. But if you love it, then it's a dream. I feel like the the career of a researcher, and I feel everyone needs to do the things that they love doing. 
Mukunda certainly described this because he said that um, he expressed his gratitude to the indefatigable sage. So we talk about fatigue mm. and metals, but uh, mm. Bose was inde <laughs> indefatigable, <laughs> however you say that word, <laughs> never able to show any or exemplify any fatigue. And that's uh, another great philosophy to live by, isn't it? Um, Lauren, um, you know, when, we, um, uh, when we were doing the uh, Kirtan day on Sunday, mm -hmm. I, was, uh, I was fasting that day and I'd done another previous fast for three days ago. So I was doing no water as well that day. And, you know, it was like insanely hot. And um, but the whole day I was not at all, not a, no, not a single iota of tiredness. And I, I had such an insanely busy day that day. I was up, up at the crack of dawn, started my... Um, uh, asanas in the morning but yeah it was, it was I felt this you know when you have like when you've got like something really important to do fatigue does not come into um into play does it no matter how much food or drink or water or or uh, how busy you've been over the past few days well that's really inspiring you're living off the power of god yeah. without feeling any fatigue <laughs> wow Certainly, you can do it at the center, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> in, in the same way, a teacher that is excited with a subject, I think Lauren would probably agree, is like the teacher that every student wants to see. In the, and I remember I had a geography teacher in high school that was just so excited about everything, every country that we talked about. And he talked about, uh, numbers of population and GDP growth. And, and I was, I loved that man. He was amazing, you know? And maybe because of him, I, I, it became kind of one of my hobbies just to, to research geographic, um, facts and maps and, and all those kind of things. And I think those are the people who, um, are, are in the right place in this kind of field in science and then also in universities teaching because I, I also know what it's like when you're with a teacher who really doesn't like his job and then it's it's not just difficult for the teacher it's also difficult for the student I would say so it goes it goes hand in hand uh, and um, Mukunda takes his leave and he uh, he he kind of he he says a sentence. He says, "Can the astonishing fertility of his genius ever be exhausted?" As in, he's like an eternal spring of scientific discovery. And um, this is really um, a positive uh, visit that Guruji did there. So he because you got to turn it down. Sorry, sorry, guys. The, <laughs> It's deep I'm sorry, I thought I made myself, sorry. <laughs> you have to cut that bit out, sorry. Vish yeah, Vishnu, yeah, Vishnu, she wasn't referring to Vishnu as in the, the god Vishnu. She's referring yeah. to... No. Referring Maybe to then it would have... That would have... That was my son. He suddenly decided to put the TV on very loud. Sorry. That's all right. Break your play then. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have thought it's part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> Staying in, unfortunately. <laughs> Staying in, yes. <laughs> we cut Keeps it real. Out. People want reality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they want to know who we are behind the facade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they want to uh, see the squirrels eating, eating your um, strawberries. The strawberries. Yeah. 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 Massacre, massacre. Did you, did you set up a webcam in your garden, Priyank? No, I don't need to. I can just watch them. There. <laughs> the other day there was... There was, remember I told you, there was four, two from different families. I know them all quite well. Two from different families that usually fight. And four of them, because there were so many strawberries, they were just gorging themselves and getting along harmoniously. So how do you feel in that then? So that's a difficult one, isn't it? Do you protect the strawberries or do you protect the animals? There's going to be no strawberries next year in my garden. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, I've, I've seen... Um, organic strawberry growers and they used nets over the strawberries and that might be a better way than using pesticides mm. yeah I think the strawberries like it more as well they would agree if you look at them under a crescograph <laughs> but hasn't it made you think a bit about 
And when you're actually eating a vegetable, it's hurting it. Oh, gee. Oh, my God. Um, I've, I've well, got Gandhi, I'm, I'm, you're going. Well, Gandhi had this, didn't he? Um, don't quote me on it, but I, I'm pretty sure at one point he didn't eat anything at all because of not wanting to cause so much suffering. Um, but then uh, I can't I can't remember the whole the whole thing, but he didn't keep it up because you know the body must live. But yeah, essentially, it is. But I was reading something the other day about how even though we're uh, in effect, like causing death upon vegetables and food, we can use we'll use it as uh, an offering of love to the the divine, you know, and, and of, of the body temple that we've been given. So we can still spiritualize it in in some way. That's true. If, if you're really into it, there is a, a science, like for example, Jane's don't eat certain vegetables like they don't eat root vegetables because once you pluck out a root vegetable it's it's gone right it's dead and um and if you in plucking out the root vegetable you're also going to take out loads of insects as well but uh if you take the inverse of that where you um eat an apple um from a tree or a pepper you know these kind of things that we have like either fruit or vegetables then um Essentially, if, if it's ripe, it's, it's, it actually wants animals to take the fruit. It needs mm -hmm. animals to take the fruit, not just to, that's why it's producing the sweet, you know, the sweet <clears throat> meat of the apple around the seed. And that's why the seed is bitter. So we don't, we don't bite into the seed. We either swallow it whole or spit it out. And what happens then? You either fertilize it um, through your, you know, nature's processes when, it, when, or you, um, spit it out and it grows that way and the purpose is it should grow far away from the parent tree right and then genetic diversity so there is if you really, if you really want to get into it there is a there is an application of the non-violence principles even in virtually everything that we eat <clears throat> that yeah. is pretty amazing I, and beautiful i've worked on that because lots of uh, vegetarian uh, arguments in vegetarianism this is my one uh, uh you know bit of uh, good good facts that is irrefutable <laughs> it's your trump card Brian. yeah yeah i don't wow. like to use the word trump well anymore. yeah but you know <laughs> <laughs> need to go with a new word yes anyway um we I think this is actually not a bad segue because he continues then to talk about um, both researching the effects of uh, medicines on plants. And then you would say, um, isn't that also cruel to the plant? I don't know. I don't know what kind of medicines he tried. <laughs> um, but he did say that you could use the plant instead of animals because I think the animals are definitely more sensitive, right? And they would actually suffer more. And I'm not sure if we have reached that part in science yet, that 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 we would do tests with plants rather than with animals, at least not 100%. I'm pretty sure animal testing is still a big thing. Annoyingly, also in cosmetics, where I feel like, why? Like, this is so useless. But anyways, they, they, they use it. Um, uh a lot and so he gave an alternative and maybe this is actually something that science will embrace in the next century that we can i mean we know plants suffer but i think there's definitely a hierarchy right like the of the importance of life and i think plants are not at the top they're more towards the bottom humans um, humans are the top of the tree aren't they that's right yeah, spiritually, spiritually, in terms of knowing God. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the this is kind of the the last paragraph we're gonna do we're gonna do in in this part. Um, we're gonna continue. We have one more um, uh, episode to come with the with the last part of um, uh, chapter eight.
but this is as far as we got here. One question I had for you, Priyan, from earlier is like you said, Jane's don't eat any root vegetables. Does it include ginger and and turmeric yep. and things like yep. that? Yep. Wow. So it's a, it spans. Yeah. It's like a different uh, branch off of like the Hindu faith, essentially, where they go. They're mm -hmm. really, they're really hardcore. Like some of them even. Um, they wear a face that essentially wore face masks before they were invented um, <laughs> in the West uh, because they don't want to inhale any flying insects or at least, you know, prevent as few, you know, mm -hmm. make as few as possible. And it'll also, um, what's it called? They're, a lot of them will have a brush and where they walk, they'll brush the, the dirt away from where they're walking. Mm -hmm. So they don't. They don't step on any insects. But what's the, is, there, is there a similar reasoning behind like eating before sunset? Is that so you don't accidentally eat something? That's flying or no? <laughs> oh. What's the reason? I, <laughs> I think lo loads of people, for. loads of people do that, don't they? Loads of uh, scientists. Yeah, but, you know. but Jane people are, st are strict about it, though. Aren't oh, really? They? I thought it would have, I'm guessing, I thought it would have been to do with them. Um, when your last meal of the day should be, um, and what you should, what you should as essentially how much food should be in your stomach when you're lying flat, something oh, along something, something along those lines. Even Guruji says um, you should never, you should leave leave the leave the table a little bit hungry. <laughs> Don't satiate yourself to fullness. It's, it's also true because like the evolutionary process wants you to be full doesn't it it wants you to grow fat and have loads of reserves yeah. so what happens is like your the feeling of fullness lags the hunger so you'll think you're you'll think you're hungry but you're actually full if you just wait 20 minutes you'll realize you are full but because we keep eating and then we essentially overeat and then essentially we put on weight but um you've got to like conquer that uh that uh are you practicing this evolutionary... i have been trying you... for many years mm. Wow. Well, Priyank, you also you also disciplined. I sat with you and we had lunch. I remember <laughs> that on the that weekend, the queer oh, initiation yeah. weekend. And my children were very fascinated by your lunchbox, which is basically carrots and leaves and <laughs> exactly. And I haven't so many times. Like I was sitting at Chipotle with Priyank, and instead of ordering a burrito, he would get out his apples. No, no, no. This is why I have to try so hard because I'm not a proper yogi. I've got to do all these like side <laughs> things <laughs> to make it happen. But I've been um, recently been doing, my wife and I did this. Um, we're on the seventh or eighth week of like a raw food diet. So just seeing how that, uh, how that goes. I've had to. And how is it going? Really well, really well. I just did, um, I did my, um, this is completely off piece now. I did my, uh, I did my uh, what they called you know those biometrics uh, assessment at the gym where they tell you all your all your stats. I did it before and I did it after, and my metabolic age has come down. My um, fat body fat levels and BMR has improved. Everything basically you can imagine. Everything gets better if you have a great diet. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you, are you grinding almonds in orange juice? That is a point of uh, some clarification that's needed because, Mike, I think you'll be able to tell us what is a ground nut in America that we know it of as as in America in in Europe. Oh, I'm I don't know. I I use a food processor to grind nuts. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Guruji. A lot of what Reva's referring to is that yeah. Guruji asks us to do fasts once a week um, on ground yeah. nuts, ground nuts and orange yeah. juice. And yeah, um, I do that. a lot of a lot of people grind the nuts, but ground nuts are also another name for peanuts in America. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that so, I think it literally means grinding? We like don't know. I don't nuts. know. I don't know. No, I don't. I don't think that's what I don't think that's what he meant. You I think, think he, you mean grounding meant, nuts? Grounding the nuts and putting them into the orange juice because it's easier to digest, I suppose. If you're not sure, ask them at the center. Yes, we um, don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We're not experts. <laughs> <laughs> don't try this at home. I only, I only ate nuts that I found on the ground. I was like, oh, you did well. <laughs> are you the squirrels in the <laughs> yeah, <you're> garden? <laughs> 
<laughs> Teleportation and transformation, Mike has got in his list of repertoire. Yeah. Transfiguration or whatever it is when you can transform. Nice. In that sense, uh, do we do we want to add anything to this chapter? Think no justice yeah i think we have okay. not chapter this part we still have one more this part. part we have one more part to go that's right yes all right um okay then, should we, play, should we listen to... to a bit of lauren before leaving oh yeah we, we were going to do this yeah that's but it. thank you river for joining us and uh, mm, this, is a, this is a somewhat of an exclusive so not everyone's got access to this recording that i'm about to play but here it is Thank you, Lauren, for that.